John chapter 20, and I'm reading from verse 24. John chapter 20, I'm reading from verse 24. Now, Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his Well, over the last few uh, weeks, we've been looking at these resurrection stories. And uh, this was uh, Easter Sunday morning on top of the hill uh, with uh, the other local ministers declaring the fact that uh, Christ has risen. And we began with our resurrection story. We looked at the resurrection story of Mary Magdalene. And then we looked at the resurrection story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And this week we are looking at the resurrection story of Thomas. And what we're trying to do in these, uh, in these uh, series of, of talks is we're trying to get inside the heads and inside the minds of uh, those first disciples and how they encountered Jesus and seeing whether or not we too can relate and whether or not we too can uh, share their experience. And so we're going to be looking at the resurrection story of, of Thomas. And the first thing I want to say is that Thomas, uh, I want to talk about Thomas, the disappearing disciple. Thomas, the disappearing disciple. You didn't know that, did you? That Thomas was the disciple that disappeared. Ooh. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, let's remember that Thomas is one of the twelve, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came. He wasn't there. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where everybody else has been there and you missed out. Have you ever had that experience? Uh, some people in, in a football match, they leave before the end of the match. They pay huge amounts of money to go and watch the match. And ten minutes before the end, they start walking out. And, and so often, in the last ten minutes, that's when it all happens. That's when the goals are scored and they miss out because they weren't there. 
Well, Thomas called Didymus wasn't there. And uh, this is what William Barclay says. He made one mistake. He withdrew from the Christian fellowship. He sought loneliness rather than togetherness. And because he was not there with his fellow Christians, he missed the first coming of Jesus. A little bit harsh, I think, there, William. A little bit harsh. I mean, it doesn't say why Thomas wasn't there. Um, he could have got stuck in traffic. You know, I've heard that the, the, the eye of the needle, the, the, the camels get backed up trying to get through the eye of the needle in Jerusalem, and it can cause a real tailback. Uh, you know, maybe he'd gone to the shops. Maybe his wife had sent him on an errand. Maybe he'd gone to visit his mother. Maybe he was working. Uh, we don't know why he wasn't there. But what we do know is that he wasn't there. And by not being there, he missed out on experiencing what all the other disciples experienced on that resurrection day. They saw for themselves that Jesus was truly alive. So he was a disappearing disciple. And believe it or not, every church have have disappearing disciples. Uh, They're just not here. And every church has them. They disappear. Some more frequent than others. Thomas, the disappearing disciple. And then, of course, I want us to think about Thomas, the disbelieving disciple. Because this is what we really know Thomas for, isn't it? Uh, that Thomas wasn't able to believe. Thomas, the disbelieving disciple. Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the other disciples when Jesus came to... So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. They might have said it like this, you know, Thomas, you're not going to believe this. You won't believe what we've seen, what we've experienced. And Thomas was thinking, "Mm -hmm, you're right, I'm not going to believe it. We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see, unless I see. What was it Debbie was saying to uh, the children? You've forgotten already. Yeah, unless I see it, I won't believe it. Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. I'm not going to believe it unless I see it for myself. I don't know about you, but I can really identify with Thomas. Uh, because I was that, I was that disciple. Uh, I wasn't going to believe in Jesus unless I saw it for myself. And people could queue up and tell me how wonderful Jesus was. And how they'd encountered Jesus. And how I ought to believe in Jesus. But I wasn't going to believe until I experienced Jesus for myself. And I told all these Christians. This is what I used to say before I was a Christian. I used to say to them, well, look, folks, I'm here. If God wants to speak to me, I'm available anytime, any place. And when he does, I will believe. But I'm not going to just believe what you say. And so I'm with Thomas. Why would you, why would you believe just because other people have experienced it? Unless you've experienced it for yourself. Isn't this how we are in all reality? Isn't this how we react? Somebody tells us something quite unbelievable. Imagine this, if somebody had told you that Burnley were going to remain in the Premier League. You'd have probably said, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it for myself. Until I see those 40 points on the table, I am not going to believe it. 
Well, folks, if you look in the newspaper or on the television or on your phones, you'll see they've reached the, the 40 points. And they're going to stay. They're going to remain. I will not believe it. That's where Thomas was. Thomas, the doubter. Doubting Thomas. That's, that's the name he's being given. Again, I think a little bit harsh. A little bit harsh to call him Thomas the doubter. 2,000 years later, what do we remember Thomas for? Uh, remember the fact that he doubted. Imagine that 2,000 years later that you're remembered for something that you didn't get quite right. How awful would that be? Thomas doubts. The thing about doubt is that we tend to think as, as doubt as being the opposite of faith, don't we? We tend to think as doubting as a, as a bad thing and, a, and having faith as a good thing. Uh, but as I kind of journey with the story of Thomas, I think doubt and faith are a little bit more entwined together and perhaps part of the same journey rather than being direct opposites. John Hartberg, in his wonderful book called Faith and Doubt, says, as long as you have faith, you will always have doubts. As long as doubts exist, as long as a person is still uncertain, that is the only time faith is needed. When doubts are gone, the person doesn't need faith anymore. Knowledge has come. As long as we are asked to believe in something that we cannot see, there will always be an element of doubt. We might not admit it. Uh, we might uh, come out with all sorts of wonderful statements of faith that sound wonderful and think that that's the way that we are to operate and that if you've got doubts, then you need to sit near the back of the church and perhaps not mention it or certainly speak too loudly about them in case uh, other people think you are not as good a believer as they are. But it seems to me that faith and doubt are... Uh, bedfellows. They share the same mattress. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. You see, the other disciples, uh, it didn't take any faith for them to believe that Jesus was, was risen. He'd come and stung them, stood amongst them. He'd shown them his side and his, and his hands. That's all that Thomas was asking for, to have the same experience so that he too could believe. He wasn't asking for any more but he wasn't asking for any less. You see, Thomas was asked to do what the other disciples didn't have to do. Thomas was asked to do what the other disciples didn't have to do. He was asked to believe without seeing. He was asked to believe without seeing. You see, we might imagine that, that Thomas was uh, was a... A doubter all the time, that he doubted everything, that he went around not believing anything that he read or saw and uh, until he experienced it for himself. Um, but you see, I'm with Thomas. All I'm saying is we don't call Peter denying Peter or Mark, runaway naked Mark. Why should I be saddled with this title? It does seem a little bit unfair, a little bit harsh maybe. 
Especially when you think the other disciples were, were just as slow to believe, uh, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Do you remember that from Luke's story of the resurrection when the women came back from the tomb excited and, 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 and full of excitement because they'd seen the risen Lord and the other disciples said, we're not going to believe it unless we see it for ourselves. So it does seem a bit harsh that, that Thomas has got this Doubting label. Doubt, though, I think is, is a key part of the journey of faith. Doubt is a sign that we are taking our relationship with God seriously enough to be honest about how we feel. If we're going to give labels out, why don't we call Thomas Honest Thomas? Because he was honest about how he felt. It's a little bit dangerous, isn't it, to be honest in church about what you think and and how you feel. Uh, Because what you think and feel and what you believe might not be quite the same as the person next to you. And you might feel under pressure to believe what you perceive everybody else believes and not believe something different. The danger with that is we end up with uh, honest doubt versus phony faith. And I think honest doubt wins every time. I'd rather have an an honest doubter than somebody with a a phony faith who's believing what everybody else tells them to believe believe because they think that's the right thing to do but hasn't actually believed it for themselves. Our faith is our faith. We cannot accept somebody else's faith. It has to be our faith. It has to be our experience. It has to be our relationship with God. Honest Thomas Philip Yancey says, this doubt is a skeleton in the closet of faith and I know of no better way to treat the skeleton than to bring it into the open and expose it for what it is. Not something to fear, but a hard structure on which living tissue may grow. You see, when we doubt, what we do is we ask questions. We say, well, what about this and what about that? And it's by asking questions that we actually learn and grow and develop in our knowledge and our understanding of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and his word. If we just blindly accept whatever we are told, we're not going to grow very deep in our relationship with God. We ask questions. And that's why we encourage people to go to house groups. That's why we do things like Cafe Church, where we encourage people to explore and to question And we will continue to do that. So if we're going to label people, let's remember label jars and not people. Let's label jars and not people. Because most labels, have you noticed that labels are are things that are given to you by other people? We don't get to choose our own labels, do we? It would be great if we did. You know, uh, Richard the fantastic preacher is going on tour. Uh, You know... How's about that for a a label? (laughs) That isn't, you know, we don't get to choose our own labels, do we? Other people label us. And they tend to label us with things, you know, like uh, Richard the Skeptical Preacher. (laughs) You know, uh, Richard Slightly Liberal. uh, You know what I mean? They tend to give. And when we give people labels, we give people labels maybe because it makes us feel better about ourselves. And maybe when we give somebody a label, what we're doing is, is, is not really speaking so much about the person that we're giving the label to as about our own 
doubts and in theory that we feel that we need to label other people so that the focus goes on them and we can point out what we think are the faults in that person. It starts in the school ground, doesn't it? You know, when children uh, start calling names and, and giving names to other children that aren't very nice, but it continues in adulthood. It's much easier to hand out the labels, isn't it, than to receive them. So let's label jars and not people. Uh, Frederick Buchanan says this in his book, Wishful Thinking. If you don't have doubts, you're either kidding yourself or asleep. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. I like that. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it alive and moving. Doubts the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it alive and moving. God is so much bigger, so beyond my attempts to keep him contained and manageable, that doubt is inherent in following him. There's always going to be an element of doubt. Because we cannot see and we cannot know everything about God. And we cannot fully understand. God is far too big and beyond uh, our understanding. So there will always be an element of doubt. And rather than batter the person that has the questions and is struggling to believe, we need to encourage them and walk with them with their questions and journey with them and encourage them to ask their questions of doubt so that it leads them to a place of faith. Thomas, the disbelieving disciple, maybe you identify with him because you also struggle to believe some of the things that you think everybody else believes. And then, thirdly and finally, it's Thomas, the discerning disciple. Thomas, the discerning disciple. A week later, uh, a week later, Thomas had to live with his doubts for the week. Interesting, isn't it, that, that Jesus, in his resurrection appearance, remember when we're looking at the story of Mary Magdalene, he allowed Mary to weep and express her grief. When he was traveling on the Emmaus Road with the two disciples, he journeyed with them and allowed them to ask their questions and to speak about their disappointments. And he went with them. And here, Thomas, he allows Thomas room for doubt. There is room in Christian faith for doubt. And Thomas lives with his doubt for a week. And then, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them this time. You see, Thomas hasn't packed his bags and said, oh, well, if you lot believe that, I can't believe it, I'm going. I'm going to look for another group of people that I can join uh, who share my disbeliefs and doubts. Thomas continued to meet with the disciples even in his moments of doubt. Interesting that, isn't it? Even though he hasn't experienced what the others have experienced, even though he can't say Jesus is alive, he still continues to meet with the other disciples. He doesn't give up. He doesn't go home. He's there with them. Maybe in the hope that he too will have that same experience. And the reality is when we meet together as a church, we've not all had the same experience of God. We've not all had the same experience of Jesus. Some people have had absolutely wonderful, miraculous experiences of Jesus that have left them with no doubt whatsoever. Others haven't had such experiences. We listen and we are encouraged by miraculous stories of of God's intervention but if they're not our stories we will kind of struggle a little bit and we will have doubts because they're not our stories they're somebody else's stories and Thomas 
He's back a week later. He stays with them. And again, I think, good on you, Thomas. You didn't give up. Others might have given up, but Thomas doesn't. And through the doors, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Jesus comes back. Exactly the same words, exactly the same experience. The doors were locked. Jesus stands among them, peace be with you. And then he says to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it in my side. Gives Thomas exactly what he asked for. God doesn't always give us exactly what he asks for, but sometimes he does. And with Thomas's case, he answers Thomas's prayer. And he says, stop doubting and believe. This is the time for Thomas to stop doubting. Well, he's not going to doubt now because Jesus has stood before him. He's showing him his hands and his side. There is no room for doubt now because Jesus is there. It doesn't take any faith for Thomas to believe it. He just has to accept what his eyes are telling him. Even though, probably, he's still struggling to kind of realise what's going on because Jesus did die on a cross and they saw that. And even though people had been telling everybody that Jesus was risen, it was almost incomprehensible because people that die normally stay dead. And Jesus has come back to life. So even sometimes you think, am I really seeing it? Even, you know, seeing isn't always believing because you can see something and still doubt it. Did I really see that? Did it really happen? Gosh, we question ourselves, don't we? You know, it's that who wants to be a millionaire moment, isn't it? When, when the questioner says, are you sure? And you think, you think, well, I was sure. And so you said that and now I'm not so sure. Are you certain? Well, I thought I was, but now I'm starting to disbelieve myself. Would you like to phone a friend? Well, I think I might phone a friend. Do you want to ask the audience? You know, it's that moment people, people sow those seeds of doubt where you thought you were absolutely certain. You thought you knew what you believed. And someone says, are you sure? And you think, well, I'm not sure. Stop doubting and believe, Jesus says. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. Shouldn't Thomas have been remembered for that rather than his doubting? You see? Our friend um, N.C. Wright says this, he is the first person in the book to look at Jesus of Nazareth and address the word God directly to him. Yeah, this is what John has been working around to from the very beginning. Thomas is the first person to apply the word God to Jesus. Shouldn't it have been Thomas the remarkable theologian? Thomas the man with great spiritual insights that we remember him for rather than Thomas the doubter. Because he sees Jesus and he gives him the name God. In case you didn't know, St. Thomas uh, actually went on to be called Saint Thomas. Uh, legend has it that he took the gospel to, one of the first people to take the gospel to India. His life was so transformed. And apparently he's also the patron saint of architects. Just thought I'd throw that one in. Uh, but it's interesting isn't it, that doubting Thomas becomes Saint Thomas and churches and schools have been named after him. Saint Thomas. Did you know there was a Saint Richard? I'm not talking about myself. He wrote a little poem, you know, uh, 
see him more clearly, love him more dearly. There's another one, I can't think what the third one is. Follow him more nearly. That was St. Richard. But Thomas becomes St. Thomas. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not yet seen, who have not yet, who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You might think that Jesus is reprimanding Thomas here and telling him off, a bit like Debbie saying, you know, parents, you know, can I just tell you, if you've got a 40-year-old child, don't tell them off. Don't tell them off. But you might think that, that Jesus here is, is telling Thomas off because he hadn't believed. But I think it isn't so much that Jesus is rebuking Thomas as he's blessing us. He's saying, blessed are those who believe without seeing. And that's you and me, because we are called to believe without seeing. And many of us have been able to come to that point, where we've believed what we've read, what we've heard, and what we've experienced, but we've not actually seen Jesus. And yet we have believed. And Jesus says, we are blessed. So this morning, I hope you feel blessed. I hope you feel blessed in your doubts as well as in your believing. I hope you feel blessed in your worries and concerns as well as your super strong, unimaginable faith. Because you see, as John Ottenberg says in his book, Faith and Doubt, disciples are not people who never doubt. They doubt and they worship. They doubt and they serve. They doubt and help each other with their doubts. They doubt and practice faithfulness. They doubt and wait for their doubts to be turned to knowing. So if you're waiting still for your doubts to be turned into knowing, Continue to journey, continue to question, and continue to follow Jesus.